Okay, so Fruiting Body Podcast, we're doing something different now. Every episode we film, we're going to cut it into two parts, uh, airing on Tuesday at 6 p.m. and Thursday at 6 p.m. So this is part one. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast. We are a medicinal mushroom company located on the island of Phuket, Thailand. And today we have an absolute legend of a guest. This is Syed, Syed Abdrek Man, Mon Manoff. Yeah, yeah we're, I knew I was going to struggle with that, but we only do one take. Yeah. Um, so we're going to learn about Syed's story. He is a MMA, UFC, one championship um, manager. He has been managing some very, various, very well-known names such as Petra uh, Young, uh, Raphael Faziv, um, and an up-and-coming super, superstar, Shavkat Ramonov. Yeah. I, okay, I knew I was going to struggle with those names. It's not <laughs> so simple. Um, we're going to learn all about his story, what brought him to Phuket, uh, specifically what he's doing here and what's next for him, and kind of what's going on in that whole uh, fight world. Because a lot of those fighters, they are up-and-coming, and obviously guys such as Petra Yang have, have already won the, those belts, and let's see what's going on there. So, without further ado, let's get this started. Okay, Syed, thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, that's, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's a bit of a long drive up here from Chalong, um, but at least it's a gorgeous day. It's been a bit of a weird yeah. rainy season as well. It's I mean, good, which yeah. I like. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw you were up here maybe a week ago or so, yeah. um, just around the Bangtao Muay Thai gym and, and, and I guess just saying hello and seeing what's going on. What, what yeah. were you doing up here at that time? Uh, I was helping actually UFC crew with the translation. They were filming a countdown show for Zhang Weili mm. and they were looking for a translator. And obviously I was a <laughs> obvious choice. So yeah, for a couple of days we filmed there, I uh, helped them. So this is a crew from Russia the, and the UFC usually use them for all the countdowns they do in Russia, in Europe, in Thailand. So they've been filming Piotr for like three, four times already. And this is the second time they came to Phuket and John was here, so they filmed her too. Yeah, I saw you guys, uh, I, I was just training in that the hit class and I'm like, okay, that's not the typical social media crew just because of the equipment yeah, they had going. Yeah. And then I saw, I think you guys might have went down to Banana Beach that day? Yeah, 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 Banana yeah. Beach. And actually, we weren't allowed to film there, you know. They say it's like a part of the national park. Oh, really? We, you need to have a permission to film there. So we say like quickly grab the shots and then we left. Yeah, probably <laughs> maybe for like the drone footage or especially if you look like a camera crew. Well, you saw the crew. Yeah, I mean, like it was 10 big. people, big yeah. cameras, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's and at Banana Beach. Now, especially when you're getting in there, did you go, uh, unless you live on the island, you wouldn't know. There's that, like, lower spot mm -hmm. entrance, but everybody that's a tourist, they always come up from the top, yeah, kind of yeah, come yeah. down that hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a, a lower spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so, like, on the Fruiting Body podcast, we kind of want to understand your story and specifically like how did you get into being an MMA manager? But let's take it even back a step further. Tell us about young Syed in Kazakhstan. What was it like growing up? Well, a little bit more about your childhood and what led you into what you're doing today. So I was born in the west part of Kazakhstan, right nearby Caspian Sea in a city called Aktal. It's a very small city, 200,000 population. And uh, I was born there and I lived there till I was 16 years old. And um, 
most of us who was born in the 90s, I was born in 1988, so growing up in the 90s, uh, we had like a similar similar childhood in the region because it's a, a time where the Soviet Union, uh, how you say it, broke out. Yeah, like when, uh, the USSR split, was split over. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the USSR basically USSR was over, and it was a beginning of independent Kazakhstan, and uh, it was uh, economically it was hard for all the countries because they were switching all the financial system, economical system, and all of us kind of had like similar childhood, all the people from the region. Uh, but I'd say I had a happy childhood living like next to the sea, five minutes to the beach. Uh, we didn't have much, but I, I, I can tell I, I had a great childhood. And uh, when I was 16, I already graduated from the high school because uh, usually we started school at seven. And but I, I went when I was at six years old. Then I skipped one year and finished when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, because my father at the time he had uh, some business going on with China, so he told me there is an opportunity to go to China to get a um, higher degree. So I, I just because I was always like into. Uh, Eastern culture, like uh, I was reading a lot about Japan, about China, so I thought it's a g- great opportunity. And when I was 16, I moved to Beijing, mm. uh, started my uh, adult life abroad. And this and is at like 16, 17? Yeah, I was 16 years old and it was uh, 2005. Okay. Uh, 2005. Uh, yeah, for first two years, I studied Chinese. Then got my bachelor degree in uh, international trade and business. Got the scholarship from the uh, Beijing government to get the master's degree. And then a couple more years, got my master's degree. And, uh, you know, when you graduate from university, you kind of, you, you, you never know what you want to do. But at the time, because my girlfriend still was studying in, in the university, and I wanted to stay in Beijing. So I was looking for the job in Beijing and I uh, got into like uh, oil industry. I got into oil company, uh, Chinese oil companies that was working with Kazakhstan. So basically my work was kind of like international project specialist, helping them like uh, establish themselves in the Kazakhstan market. So the like p- more business development side. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So more like uh, day-to-day things, business side of things and... Uh, was good salary, obviously, uh, being oil, oil company, but it was a job that I didn't really enjoy because when I was in Beijing, it was kind of like nine to five office, Monday to Friday, and the business trip all to the cities like Zalarda, which is like not the nicest city in Kazakhstan, and you usually go to the oil fields and stuff like that. So I didn't really enjoy my job. And uh, actually, like, Rewinding and going back, uh, in 2011 was the uh, first time when I came to Thailand. I was still studying in university, saved some money. I always had some part-time jobs as a translator, so saved some money and went to Thailand with intention to train. Uh, but me and my buddy went to Bangkok first, uh, visit temples, stuff like that. And our friends were in Pattaya, so I said, okay, the weather in Phuket is not good yet. So let's go to Pattaya for a couple of days and then we'll go to Phuket to train. Mm. 
ended up staying in Pattaya for the whole time for two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> we've, we've all had those trips in Asia where you get stuck like, uh, um, you know, you're, you're traveling some country and, and you yeah. get lost in one city and you never see anything else. Yeah. How, how old I was maybe like 22, 23 years old. Yeah. First time in Thailand, you go to walking street, you're like, wow. And you kind of go crazy a bit for a couple of weeks. But then like I, I, I still had this intention to, to train in Thailand because I was uh, uh, doing uh, BJJ at the time. I started in like 2008 in Beijing. And uh, uh, because we had like common friends, uh, our coach, Von Anderson, and then NDP, and then there was connection with uh, Thailand at the time too because guys like... Uh, Oli Larson, uh, Ray Elby, they were like training and uh, coaching here. So I kind of like followed them too and was looking what for what they're doing. And that's how I found out about Tiger Muay Thai. So I had this plan uh, to go and train in Thailand. So next year, I actually ended up coming to Phuket, uh, coming to Tiger, training there. Uh, absolutely loved it, loved the atmosphere. It kind of became my every every year. I kind of start coming back, you know. When you're coming, kind of still, when Tiger was quite fresh. I mean, this is when the Tiger, uh, the Tiger tryouts were starting around 2012, 2013 yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you were first coming to Tiger, like, are there still people there today that were there when you first started going? I mean, besides, <sighs> well, those guys like George, they've obviously moved up here, but yeah. they would have been back. They would have been down there around that time as well. Yeah, like 2012, I'd say, like, some, most of the, like, Thai coaches, there's, like, a group of Thai coaches that's still from that time. Maybe just them, you know. Mm. Because uh, since that time, I've seen, like, coaches change, owners change, you know, they're completely, like, the scene, the whole gym changed, you know, since that time. And uh, so, coming back to my story, 2014, had my first holidays. I was working in the old company and was uh, was Chinese New Year. And I decided to just come back to Thailand again with my girlfriend at the time and uh, now my wife <laughs> and uh, kind of show her Phuket, Thailand, and also train. And uh, she loved it so much. And me coming back was probably my first time in Thailand. And uh, the first time I started having this uh, thought, like, why not live in a place like this, you know? I enjoy coming here so much, and why not? So it was the first thought that came to my mind, and, and, and her too. And uh, when we when I came at the time, there was a grappling and BJJ competition. Uh, Phuket Top Team was organizing it, uh, Olavo. It was uh, Kata Beach, something, BJJ Open. And I signed signed up for it. Ended up like winning no gi division. Got the second place in gi. And then one of the guys I rolled with at the competition came up to me. We start talking, and um, he was actually working in Tiger Muay Thai. So he came up to me just asking for the footage of the, our uh, match. And then he said that he's working at Tiger, and uh, I told him my story that I live in China. And then he just brought up that Tiger actually looking to expand to Chinese market. So I grabbed his contact, went back to Beijing, uh, to the jobs that I didn't really love. And then 
just came up with the idea, just why not try and uh, message the guy and offered him like uh, my service. And he said, just, okay, come for one month, try out period, and then we'll see what's going to happen next. So ended up quitting the job in the oil company and then came to Tiger for one month tryout and, and taking i mean obviously taking a major pay cut as well because we all yeah, a, everybody yeah. knows living in <laughs> thailand especially if you're making money in thailand it's it's not easy and obviously leaving oil and gas yeah. so your roles and responsibility with that type of job was it purely like business development between tiger and china and trying to bring the chinese in with tiger yeah 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 so they basically like didn't know where to start they just wanted more Chinese clients because they've seen there are more Chinese tourists coming to Phuket and they just wanted to use it as opportunity to expand. And uh, I actually ended up doing more than they expected. Uh, Will Elliott was a director at the time. He gave me the opportunity. And uh, we ended up signing the deal with uh, Kunlun Fight, partnership deal. Then the... MFT, this Chinese group, they were coming before I, I, I came to Tiger. But after I came and then we started to do like social media in Chinese, sta started to bring the Tiger's name up in China, spreading it, inviting like Chinese fighter to come to train in Tiger. And uh, the group was like kind of like 20 people at the time. Six months after I came, it was like already like 100, 120 people. And I'm not saying ju it's just uh, me. Obviously, everyone worked together, but that's how like Chi really Tiger brought themselves for the, like Chinese market, Chinese scene, and now like in China, everyone involved in martial arts, you know, like Tiger as a brand. Uh, the fighters come to prepare. The tourists come just to. So get it, shape it wasn't this learn. massive business proposal plan. It was more of a, hey. Let's try to bring Chinese fighters in. Let's see where you start. And and then that kind of just grew step by step. At, at a certain yeah. point, did you, um, essentially, you're kind of bringing the fighters, you know, from China into Tiger. You have that collaboration yeah. between these two organizations. At which point were you ever managing fighters and possibly bringing them now from Tiger back to China into promotions and fight cards? Because uh, I had all this connection in the martial uh are seen in China and I knew all the people already and then me working at Tiger uh, you know it kind of came naturally because I never had a goal to become a manager it was just uh, my Chinese friends who started being involved with uh, promotions and stuff at the time like there was a lot of ev ev uh, combat events in China and they were just asking, oh, you work at the gym, you have fighters there, you have fighters for this weight class, and so obviously fighters in uh, Tiger were looking for the fights. So I was became like a, this middleman, start sending fighters to China, uh, learning on the go. And But then it was not enough for me just being a middleman, you know. I wanted to be involved more in fighters' career, and that's how I started like to manage guys at the time. It was like probably around 2000 end of 2014 2015 and especially for someone like yourself at that stage your competitive advantage is the trend is the language yeah obviously. and obviously like you, you have a chinese fighter maybe maybe th would they ever be coming over to thailand for fights or would they be going international chinese fighters chinese fighters or was it pure because obviously everyone knows <laughs> that like back in the day like you got guys like uh if you're familiar with like eddie farrell and um a, lo a lot of the the, the thai fighter or people that were doing muay thai mm -hmm. in thailand there's better money in China for those events than doing it 
here. Yeah, so they would yeah. go over there. Um, at which point was that like, you know, the, the milestone cur- you know, of your career when maybe you've connected with a fighter and started to actually manage them besides just the connection? Maybe you're negotiating contracts, you're helping with sponsorships. At which point did that happen? I mean, it kind of grew slowly, uh, step by step. Uh, obviously, like the guys, like I knew guys like Piotrs, he was coming to Tiger since 2014. Arman Sarukian, he was coming to Tiger since 2014. They, at the time, Arman was amateur. Piotr had one pro fight. And like seeing them grow and uh, helping fighters at the gym with fight opportunities, uh, not only in China, uh, abroad too. Also helping uh, fighters like from Kazakhstan fight outside, helping Chinese fighter maybe fight outside, but because usually at the at the time Chinese market was booming, there was event every 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 week, so it was a good platform for me to gain this experience, to gain these connections, and I cannot say like the the big milestone because when maybe when I switched when the there become was less events in China and the visa start to become a problem. I started to switch more on the other markets. And uh, at the time I met my current partner, uh, Daniel Rubinstein. And we decided to work together to try and kind of help uh, these uh, Russian fighters, uh, Kazakh fighters all from this region to help them to go to the Western market, get them signed to UFC, other organizations. So when Piotr became free agent, he was the first guy we signed together to UFC. And uh, he was the guy who later went on to become a champion. So z- this was one of the milestones, obviously. This is probably around 2014-15, right? No, no. It was the 2018 when he got signed to UFC. And two years later, he, p- he became like a champion. Okay, because I first... The I the reason I became exposed to Peter Yang is because I think it was his first fight in UFC. He was fighting a Japanese guy. Yeah, in Singapore. Now the only reason I, I it wasn't just because of the guys at Tiger. Obviously, I'm seeing the more of, of the social media content here. It's actually because my friend is the kick or the striking coach of that guy at Team Alpha Male. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, okay, I was getting behind. Peter Young during his first fight way before anything and he was getting behind that guy and it was kind of just like mm-hmm. the timing was funny and then the next thing I knew like holy shit Peter Young has just exploded like yeah. um so w- when you made that uh connection with Peter Young and bring him to the UFC now did you have any other connections to the UFC at this point were you bringing other fighters in was there something before that yeah I actually had a connection to UFC before um I had a Chinese guy that I managed. He was uh, fighting in UFC, Ning Guangyou. He won the Ultimate Fighter China. And uh, I was managing him at the time. But it wasn't like, it was just one guy in UFC. And UFC wasn't expanding at the time to the Russian market and stuff like that. And 2018 was good timing because uh, they opened the UFC Russia office. They started to make events in Russia. So at the time we managed like to sign a lot of guys to UFC who are obviously succeeding and fighting there till 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 now. 
Yeah, and there's a lot expanding now. I mean, well, obviously, I mean, like I, ex- I lived in China. I, I see what's going on every day, not just from the, the news, but actually from friends in Shenzhen and the cities are locked down. And we know the UFC is talking about, I think Shanghai has like a UFC apex. Is, yeah, like, are, yeah. are you involved in a little bit of that as well because of how early you've, you've been um, with these fighters? Uh, I'm not involved with like a UFC PI and stuff because, uh, you know, <coughs> I'm kind of still, uh, I think it's going to be like a more like a conflict of interest, you know, because if I'm involved with PI, I cannot really like manage yeah. guys. So I'm kind of trying to stay on the managed side of things. But uh, what I do with UFC now is they usually use me when I'm there in Vegas or in the international events. They use me as a translator for for Russian and Chinese fighters. That's how some of people know me because they see me on TV, so they think I'm like a translator for UFC. But I just help them. But it's not my like main job. Now, as a manager, and you're living in this, uh, you know, the UFC management world. There are characters in it. We got Ali, we got Eric, um, Captain Eric. That are, they're more popular. Tim Simpson. I mean, he's had a hell of a year too, mm-hmm. right? Do you have close relationships with those managers? Do you guys kind of have your own inner circle as well? I mean, we all know each other. I, I cannot say that I'm close with uh, all these guys. Of course, uh, managers from the like Kazakhstan Russian scene, I'm more closer to them. And, uh, it depends, you know. So of course, uh, there's competitions, but there's uh, stuff that we can work out together too. And, uh, I believe there is market for everyone, and everyone bring different. Uh, different values to the fighters obviously me working with russian speaking fighters chinese speaking fighters for them having a, a manager who speaks their own language is more beneficial mm-hmm. and there's just like brazilian managers japanese managers, exactly yeah. there's market for everyone uh and obviously now your market it, it's uh, you've kind of come across these massive stars did that just happen naturally or was there a little bit of luck that because you're at Tiger and you're able to come across Peter Young and Raphael Faziv and now you have um, uh, Rachmanov coming up as well. Did you find them at a very early age? I mean, we obviously talked about Peter Young, but like Faziv, he's been at Tiger, you know, since probably 2012, 13, 14 ish, let's say. D- did you kind of plant those seeds so early or did you know they were going to be stars when you came across them? Uh, with most of the guy of the guys, I was uh, I became friend first, you know, like uh, and then uh, with most of them it became like a you know parallel. They were growing as an athletes, I were growing as a manager, and then at one point of their career we started to working together. And uh, there are guys that are brought up from the beginning, like there are guys like uh, Grigory Popov. When I started to work with him, he had like three MMA fights. And then I was managing him since that time till he got signed to UFC. It didn't really work out well in UFC for him because uh, he was older at the time already. But still, it's something that I'm proud of too because I was uh, managing him since the beginning of his career. Uh, with other guys, like Piotr started with uh, working with me when he was already UFC ready. But the reason he started to work with, uh, with me because he knew me uh, as a friend, as a good human being. We had... Uh, already build a relationship so he decided to trust me even though at the time 
uh, I didn't had any like UFC fighters yet, but he decided to trust me and he was confident in me. And that, that's how it worked out. And, and with other guys too, you know, a lot of guys gave me credit even before like uh, I achieved something uh, and me and Danny as partners achieved something together. So, uh, it's only because uh, they knew me on a personal level, that's why. And that's that's kind of my my thought as well. Like watching your, I went back and watching yourself come up and the fighters. It's like kind of you guys grew together organically. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, they were already superstars and had to find someone. And um, so I thought that was quite interesting. And the fact that you kind of all had that Thailand connection as well. Um, yeah. Did you have a mentor um, to become that MMA manager? And kind of the question is more like okay, yeah, you're working with Chinese organizations in Thailand, the contracts, they're probably much more simplified in terms of like the, the legal standpoint. But those days when you have a UFC contract with a fighter like, you know, Peter Young and you sit down uh, with someone without like, let's call it that legal experience, did you have to turn to a mentor? Were you just YouTubing it? How did you approach that process? Obviously, I have a great partner in Daniel. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot from him still to, to this day. And uh, he was working uh, with UFC already, him being from United States, him uh, living in Vegas, you know, uh, having this experience. Of course, I learned from him. And uh, he didn't have any like fighters from our region. And me bringing them uh, to his company. And he also, I believe, gain a lot from this because uh, he got a first champion for his company in Peter Jan and all of the top guys most of the top guys from like Ruby Sports Inter Entertainment are the guys like from our region you know we have uh, I have personally managed six guys who are in top 15 in UFC now three lightweights who are in top 15 uh, bantamweight, featherweight, welterweight so these divisions and uh, I believe we have a uh, potential to have uh, even like four champions in different division. We have Mofsar Yevloev, who is uh, top 10 in featherweight division. We have Rafael Fiziev, Arman Sarukian, Damiris Magulov, all yep. in top 15. We have Shavkat Rahmonov, who is top 10 in uh, welterweight division. So obviously I believe Piotr Jans, he's still the best in the world. So all these guys have a potential to become champions, you know. When you have multiple people uh, that you're managing in, in a division, is there that conversation? What happens if these guys have to meet? Yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have also. But uh, I hope this day, like, if they have to fight, they f the, the fight's going to mean something. Either it's like a number one contender fight or it's like a title shot. So, of course, I'm not going to stand in their way. But early in their career, I I, I I prefer to avoid of course, the yeah. fighting. And guys like Arman and Rafael, they know each other, they train together. So there's another, you know. Yeah, I guess it's similar with Fazeev and Riddell when they had to meet meet up. And what I, obviously you would know much more on the backstory behind that. Mm -hmm. But what I kind of heard, you know, Phuket's small, we hear a lot of things. It was just more or less no one wanted to fight either of them. Yeah, And they kind of were at that position, you know, in the under top, in that top 10. And they kind of were like, okay, I guess we just have to fight each other. Is that the story behind that? Yeah. Like usually UFC, when they want to make some fight happen, they, they put you in circumstances 
that you're gonna have to agree to that fight. And uh, we knew that fight was on the radar, and then it was offered to Brett first, and Brett called to Rafa, and they kind of talked through it and <laughs> agreed to fight, because it, it it depends on your perception. You know, some fighters look at it as a, just a sport, as a competition. They don't take it personal. Then other fighters, they take fighting very personal, and I, I don't blame them because you get in there with the, the other men and getting punched in the face. So. I don't blame them if they get, take it personal. But uh, Rafa and Brett, they were professionals. And, uh, you know, it went Rafa's way. But Brett, I believe, is still... I mean, these are both striking coaches sport, from Tiger, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think uh, uh, Brad has a fight coming up in Madison Square Garden on the Zhang Wei Lee card as well. Yeah. Um, I hope he takes that. I think he's... I mean, he's not ranked, but I mean, the, he's a top 10, uh, I believe. Um, so let's see what happens. Yeah, there. Brad is uh, is always entertaining to watch his 100%. fights, and he have a fun, friendly style. And I believe he still he can still come back to top fifteen, and he still a lot of like big fights in the future. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, on a side on a side note, we have Vaziv coming up. There's a lot of word going around that he's probably getting lined up with Justin Gaethje. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know what's going on behind the scenes. Is there anything we can you can share on that, or is it still you know things are being working worked out? I mean, obviously, this is a fight that we want. Uh, I know that UFC also want to make this fight. Uh, Justin have different priorities, but we'll see. Usually, when UFC when Dana want to make make a fight, you know, it usually it happens. So right now it's still early because. They both will be healthy to compete in December, January. So still early, you know, to negotiate about this fight. Okay, so Fruiting Body Podcast, we're doing something different now. Every episode we film, we're going to cut it into two parts, uh, airing on Tuesday at 6 p.m. and Thursday at 6 p.m. So this is part one. Part two of the Fruiting Body Podcast on Thursday at 6 p.m.